Good morning. Glad you are here. Uh, we've got we've had some families who were gone, and now we have a new baby, right? Our first baby at RBC. And uh, we have some visitors. What, what's your name, sir? Michael. Michael. Nice to meet you. I'm Angelo. Nice to meet you. I'm my wife, uh, Beatrice. Okay. And my son, Mikey, and my daughter, Amalia. Okay. They're on the other side? Awesome, awesome. Glad to have you. Glad you're here. Um, would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're talking about how the Spirit fills and empowers the Christian and allows them to live the Spirit-filled lives and how that looks like, how that theology looks like when one is empowered by the Spirit filled with his word. So let's pray and ask for his filling, that we would be encouraged and that we would hear his word and that it would pierce our hearts and our minds and that we would be changed in Jesus' name. Father, we pray, we ask for your spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your word is true and that it, it, your gospel is clear and Father, we pray that your word would have its deep work in our lives. We pray that we would be encouraged. We pray that we would be challenged. Father, I pray that the word would have its deep, deep work penetrating our hearts, exposing sin, showing us where we need to change, comforting us with the gospel. We pray this morning, would you help us let us see your word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we have noticed that there is a rich, rich blessing of all that Christ has given to us. Uh, from the beginning, even in chapter 1, God has called us and he has told us that he has given us all these spiritual blessings which are in Christ Jesus he has elected us before the foundation of the world. His Son paid for our sins by the blood of Christ. His Spirit applied the blood of Christ to us as we exercised our faith. And then He gives us all of these strengths. And then now we see, even in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And I believe all of the rest of the chapters are going to be predicated, are, the, are going to be based on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit does not necessarily mean that you will speak in tongues. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean that you will speak in prophecy. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean that you will perform miracles. Being filled with the Spirit, God says, will change the way you live your life. It will, change the way, it will change the way you view sin. It will change the way you live in your marriages. It will change you in such a way that you will sing songs to Christ. It will change you in such a way that you have a, a melody, a heart song to Christ. It will change your attitude that you will have, instead of uh, complaining, that you will have gratitude. It will change how you submit to one another. And you notice here, as he says, you are filled with the Spirit... The Bible says in verse 21, and this sets up the whole next section, he says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And as he says, be subject to one another, 
he is now setting up what the justification is for the way we operate in our roles. First, he gives us the spirit, which will give us the energy, the power, the motivation, the mindset. And then what he does after that, now he says, because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, because you have this blessing, in your hardest relationships, God is going to allow you, he's going to empower you by the Holy Spirit to live it righteously, to live it holy. See, there is hope, brothers and sisters. There is hope that God changes folks. There is hope that God changes a man, a woman, a child in the family. And the hope is, his wor- is the word of God by the spirit of God. And so he says here, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he starts with the first relationship. This week, we're going to talk about wives. Next week, we're going to talk about husbands. So in this section, this week, we're going to talk about verses 22 to 24. 22 to 24. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. And he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And what Paul unveils is something so supernatural, so radical, so counter to the culture at hand, counter to Greek culture, counter to Hebrew culture, counter to uh, Roman culture, such that it shocks the couples there. It shocks the Ephesian church. That now they are to live a life that is reflecting of the Spirit, reflecting of the Spirit. And what's... The role for the woman, the role for the woman, God says, is submission as unto the Lord. Now, we're not, uh, we're not immune to this shocking statement. In fact, this society is attacking the families. This society is attacking roles such that they don't even believe that there are roles. In fact, if you were to even mention roles, that there are roles that God has defined in the scriptures, what happens is there's a battle. There's a fight. No one wants to listen. They are antagonistic to the roles. There's all these roles, it says here, even in the death of family roles, you'll see uh, one of the attacks on roles is feminism. Feminism. Not that man and women are equal, but such that feminists would try and usurp and go uh, over and against the equality of men and women. Linda Gordon, who is a feminist and a professor, she said that the nuclear family must be, just listen to this, must be destroyed And people must find better ways of living together. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is an objectively revolutionary process. So Linda Gordon, the feminist, said that the nuclear family should be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, if you don't know this already, the family is at war. The family is being attacked. The way God has outlined how we are to live is being attacked. Jermaine Greer, she's a 
Australian feminist in the second movement of feminism, she said this, I'm passionately opposed to the nuclear family with its mom and dad and their 2.4 children. I think it's the most neurotic lifestyle ever developed. Toni Morrison, she's a professor um, emeritus at Princeton, she said, two parents can't raise a child any more than one. The little nuclear family is a paradigm that just doesn't work. It doesn't work for white people or black people. Why are we hanging on to it? I don't know. It isolates people into little units. I was even looking at even at different, uh, different fields. Even uh, the one of the great uh, architects in New York, his name, name is Peter Eisenman. He said, um, he was one of the top five uh, architects in New York. He says, I don't design houses with a nuclear family idea because I don't believe it as a concept. The family itself is being attacked. Roles are being attacked. So one of the attacks is feminism. Another attack is just redefinition. Redefinition. Uh, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community is uh, trying to redefine and has passed legislation and has uh, lobbied for legislation to pass it. Even our President Barack Obama in May 2012 said, at a certain point, I've just concluded that for me, Personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. See, the, the, uh, the view of biblical marriage, of how God has designed marriage to be, is attacked, and it's popular. In fact, it's, it's a laughingstock if you still believe that marriage and a husband and a wife raising kids, and you still believe in that, it's a, you are laughed at. It's also attacked even by indifference in our culture. Folks don't even get married anymore. Commitment is not even what matters to them anymore. So it's attacked on all these fronts. Um, one commentator said this, and this is why it's written, but the Bible is talking about even the very structure of how we are to live with one another, the very structure of how families are to operate. The very structure. I mean, just look at uh, look at society. Over fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce. We know that. We know that to be even the statistical case. Even professing Christians who say they believe in the Bible, fifty percent of it, and a, a lot of you have even uh, in, uh, had to endure that. I myself has had to endure that, even in my own family, my mom and my dad. One commentator said it this way. Uh, and he's talking about verse 21, that without a proper basis of authority for relationships, people grope for meaningful, harmonious, fulfilling relationships by whatever means and arrangements they can find. Experimentation is their only resource and disintegration of the family and ultimately of society in general is being disclosed as an inevitable consequence. And see what happens is when we don't understand what marriage is, and we get into these relationships or we're thrown into these relationships, and there is no authority by how you are to dictate. There is no pattern by how you are to live. There is no moral compass by which God has given, and there's no power by the Spirit to actually do it. We are at a loss. 
Most of the children who ever grow up and, and are incarcerated, they've done studies even in the prisons. They've come from broken homes. Why? Because we don't hang on to the family anymore. It's laughed at. We laugh at the roles. In the sitcoms, it's a, it's a joke. It's, it's, it's more normal to jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship all the while. The kids are suffering. All the while, hearts are being broken because all these relationships are only bonded by how, how they feel at the moment, not by commitment, not by God's design. This was how it was even in the New Testament times. In the New Testament times, in the Roman times, marriage was... Uh, uh, one commentator said it was a little more than even legalized prostitution with divorce being an easy legal formality that can be taken advantage of. They'd move from they'd move from one marriage to another. In the Greek society, they had concubines and then they would have their wives and they would have uh, all of their other maidservants. And then they would even encourage their wives to sleep with the slaves of the household. You see, this kind of attack on the family is not just in this society this has been of old and so by by the power of christ by the power of christ we need to maintain what god has called us to do and in fact he has not left you alone without his scriptures he has not left you alone even without power when it gets hard because brothers and sisters marriage is difficult at times i wish i could say it's all fun and roses and everything. But if you've been married uh, even just a little bit, I just remember even we were, uh, when I first got married, we went to Kauai for our honeymoon. And uh, this is classic. My wife and I talk about it all the time. But in Kauai, in paradise, we, on our honeymoon, after we said our vows, got off the plane, all of a sudden we are at each other's throats. Why? Because my sin comes out. My wife's sin comes out. How are we to live these roles? So sisters, I'm going to be talking to you this morning, but brothers, don't turn your ear out because it doesn't apply to you, okay? What this is, is uh, you need to understand what is the struggle. You need to understand what is, uh, what is the perspective of a woman and how she is to live out her God-given role in Christ. And young folks, it is good to see this, and this is, if you're a guy and you're, and you're a young person and you're single, it is good to see this because this is the kind of woman you would want, someone who submits herself to Christ. And a young woman, this is the kind of woman you desire to be as Christ would uh, grow you up in the faith. So uh, this passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 24, Ephesians chapter 5, again, we'll talk about the wives today, next week. So don't feel beat up today. Because next week, we'll beat up the husbands, okay? So, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 24. Again, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husbands is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, being the Savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. God gave this passage to you so that you would fulfill your God-given roles for his glory 
and your good. God gave this passage so that you would fulfill your God-given roles for his glory and for your good. Just as the church must be submissive to Christ, just as children must be submissive to their parents, just as employees must be submissive to employers, and everyone must be submissive to Christ, and everyone must be submissive to government, this is wives to husbands. In order for there to be a strong relationship, what strong relationship with Christ does is it brings strong marriages. With strong marriages brings strong families. With strong families brings strong churches. With strong churches influences neighborhoods and cities. So sisters, I'll be talking to you. And there are two objectives that must be at the forefront if you sisters would bring glory to Christ in your marriage. There are two objectives thus that you must keep in the forefront, thus benefiting yourself and your family as well. The first objective is, sisters, if you have notes, there's notes in the back if you want to follow along. Sisters, aim supremely. Sisters, aim supremely. Now notice he says here, First, how will you bring glory to Christ in your God-given roles? You have to aim supremely. What I mean by that is aiming high. Aiming higher than just the man that you share your bed with. Okay? Much, much higher. Notice he says wives, and these are, these are Christian women who have taken a covenant vow. They have said, this is the man that I will be with. They've said this before God and before all other witnesses. This is the person who I will be with. And then he says, notice he says this word. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, if you notice in your text, the be subject portion is in italics. What that means is that that verb is supplied by the translator, by the interpreter translator. And the reason why that's there is because in the Greek, oftentimes the verb is borrowed, and you can tell by context. So he noticed in verse 21, he says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your husbands, because he's now using the verb that is supplied in the verb prior. We also know from further context, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. If, in fact, the church is supposed to picture the wife submitting, the church submitting to Christ, the wife is also to picture her submission to her husband as a, a, as a picture, as emulating what the church ought to be about in glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice he says, Wives, and he gives this imperative, okay? Wives, be subject. Now, the word there for be subject, we have to be careful. This is not a term, uh, this is not a term just like the Muslims would say, okay? The Muslims would have a subjugation. They would have their women well wear burqas. They say that, that a man is, is worth more than two women, if you read the Quran, okay? What this is talking about is, is bringing under, okay? And in the passive form, it means a sense of 
uh, it's a component of voluntary submission, subjecting yourself. It has nothing to do with whether or not a woman is unequal, less than. In fact, we know it just to be the opposite of the case. And just to prove my point, go with me to Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3, in terms of salvation, in terms of our ontological creation, in terms of the essence of who you are, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, it says here, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, 28 says here, there is neither Jew nor Greek, okay? There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in verse 28, what the Bible is saying, he's saying there is neither, neither Jew nor Greek. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, we would be lost. But what God says is, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Racially, we should not be separated. Racially, there is no inequality. Racially, there should not be someone who is seen as, seen as more supreme to one another. Then he says, also, there's neither slave man or free. So you could say even economically, just because someone is richer and someone is poorer, that means nothing at the foot of the cross in Christ. We are ontologically equal, made in the image of God, redeemed. Manny, can you uh, turn on the air conditioner? I'm getting hot. Thanks, brother. Redeemed. Then he says, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So let me stress this to you. Paul, who's the same writer of Galatians, and he's the same writer of Ephesians, Paul is stating to us here very in very clear terms that a man and a woman are equal in the sight of God. One is not better. One is not uh, one is not more supreme. One should not take preeminence. All he is talking about is roles. And we even know this. We even know this. In a platoon, there is one general, right? In a, in a company, there is one CEO. All we are talking about here are roles. There is, he is not saying that one is better than the other. So in fact, as we go back to Ephesians, we have to see it in this light, okay? In Ephesians, that Paul is saying that our roles are not based on who is superior, but simply by God's design. By God's design. And notice he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's not, it's not there's no qualification there. It's, if the wife has a higher social standing, doesn't mean that she's uh, necessarily the final leader or higher status or higher money or more intelligence or more spiritual maturity or more giftedness or age or experience. I remember those even in our experience, uh, even as we were counseling, I remember one wife said to us before that, you know, I'm more mature as a Christian than my husband so I don't really need to submit to him because I'm more mature. That is, it runs against what the scripture says. By virtue of you being a woman, 
That is the God-given, dignified, powerful okay, role that God has given you. That you would emulate and give glory to Christ by the submission to your husband. Notice, it, and it, we, it doesn't use the same word. It is not obedience, okay? In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then in chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, be obedient. It's not that verse. It's not that word. The Bible doesn't say, wives, be obedient to your husbands. The, the Bible says, wives, be submissive. It is a dignified understanding that I am equal with this man in this marriage. I being a sinner, he being a sinner, redeemed by Christ. And the way God has designed it, I will love him and I will love Christ by submitting to his headship. That is supernatural. And that's why God says, in order for you to do that, Ephesians 5.18 Right before it says, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we see this all over the Scriptures, and we see this all over society, that in order for it to work, there has to be a head. There has to be. And notice, he's, um, here's some examples of how this word is used. In Luke chapter 2, okay, Christ subjected himself to his parents. Imagine this, God of the universe coming down in the flesh who could have zapped his parents because of their unholy ways, right? Who's seen all their sins, who is holy and righteous, God in the flesh. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, he says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. It had nothing to do with whether or not he was supreme. Was he supreme over his parents? Absolutely. But what did he do? He consciously decided, even though with all his power and all his dignity, he consciously decided, I have understood the roles as far as what God has given me, and I will, by the power of the Spirit, submit myself to my parents. I think that's astounding that God submitted to his parents. That's astounding. Um, in Luke chapter 10, demons are subject to Christ. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Citizens are to be subject to the government. In Romans chapter 13, it says, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. First Peter says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Employees are to submit to their bosses. We understand this. Okay? We understand this. Titus 2.9 says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters. All are to submit to God. James chapter 4 and verse 7, submit therefore to God. And there are many examples of how God has shown us how wives are to submit to their husbands. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now that was Paul's talking. Now let's look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, and chapter 3. 
First Peter chapter three. In verse one, notice Peter now says this. He says in the same way. And he just talked about how Christ this is astounding. Okay, Christ, if you notice here, he says here, he look at look at the look at the example that you have. Go back to Ephesians chapter. I mean, first Peter chapter two. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept, notice this, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And sisters, when you have a foolish husband, when you have a husband who doesn't want to listen, when you have a husband who, who is hard-headed, this is where you have to go, Okay. You have to go here. Why? Because Christ himself was able to submit. And how did he do it? He said here, he uttered no threats and he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way. Are you guys reading? Notice, what is he saying? In the same way. What Paul is saying here is that just as Christ submitted to God the Father at the cross, the Bible is saying, wives, to emulate that, to give glory to Christ, you have to, in the same way, submit to your husbands. And notice he says here, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that is foolish, if your husband is not listening, doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to look at what Scripture says, doesn't want to hear what God has to say about his life, doesn't want to change. Notice what the Bible says here in chapter 3. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, so they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And I've seen this time and time again. How do you, how will God work in your husband's life? Sisters, God, he works in your husband's life the same way he works in yours, the same way he works in your children, the same way he works in a wayward friend, the same way he works in a wayward co-worker. You pray and you would ask God that he would move in his life. And what the Bible says here is by your demeanor, not weakness, you understand, not weakness, okay? I think I saw a Facebook um, meme one time. And said, don't mistake my gentleness for weakness. I was laughing at that, right? But that has that same kind of power here. See, Christ was com in complete control. Do you understand? And what he did, he went meek, didn't he? He went gentle. He went low. But it doesn't mean he lacked any power, right? And what God says is, for you to unleash that power, that witness, is to have a submissive spirit. What happens is, as you have that submissive spirit, I've seen this before, guys. Please, I remember there was this couple when we were at a retreat. And this guy was an unbeliever and he treated his wife poorly over and over and over again. And she believed in Christ. 
She believed his promises and she clung to this verse. And she was, uh, there was no physical abuse, but there was a lot of verbal abuse. A lot of discouragement. And he didn't like that she went to church. And he didn't like that she would read her Bible and that she loved Christ. But what God did in her life, that as she continued to follow Christ and trust in him, I remember I was there. I think Jeanette was there. It was one retreat that our old church had before. And he shared his testimony. And he said he just got saved. And, we, and they asked him, what was it? He said, it was my wife's testimony. I treated her so badly. And yet she still continued to love me. She should have left me. There was no reason for her to stay with me. She should have left me because I was hard-hearted. Because I didn't listen to her. Because I only thought of myself. She should have left me. But she kept loving me and kept respecting me and submitting to me. And in my heart and in my mind, I said nothing for so many years. And now I, have, I had to know what gave her power, what gave her strength, what gave her power to endure. The Bible says it is the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Knowing that she is aiming higher. She is aiming supremely. Why? Not for the sake of the man only. Do you understand, sisters? Don't do it just for him. Your marriage is a picture of something much higher. It is not just because of him. Because if he is your target, sisters, you're aiming too low. If he is your target, you will be disappointed. You don't have to amen that. All right, sisters. Amen. No, no, no. You don't have to amen that. The guys know. Okay. We know that. But what is going to prove? And this is between you and God, sisters. You understand that? You have this high responsibility to image forth the relationship of the church and Christ. It goes higher than our marriages. You understand? Aim supremely, sisters. Aim supremely. Notice what Titus says in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Paul. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, right? Titus chapter 2. Notice he calls on older women to teach younger wives how to do this. How do you do this? It's such a sad thing. So many, so many women, they get married and they're, they don't know how to do this. They're just thrown into these relationships and they just kind of play it by ear. And yet God has, this, God has given us his guidance. He's given us his light. In Titus chapter 2, verse 3, he says here, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, what? That they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. They have to encourage them. Why? Because men are ornery. Because men can be sinful. Because men can be cantankerous, right? Sometimes my wife would say, Angelo, 
you're acting like an old man. Got old man syndrome. And she'll say, you need to have your time with the Lord. I said, I already had it, right? Then she'll say, you need to have three, three more quiet times with the Lord because it didn't hit. And she's right, right? I got to go spend time with God and I got to confess my sin because I can't, and that's the next week, I can't love her as Christ has called me to love her, right? That is the high calling of men, to love as Christ loved the church. So men, next week, it's your turn, but this week it's the wives, okay? Notice he says, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. God says, if you love your children, if you love your husbands, if you're subject to them, the word of God is honored. Christ is honored. Now notice he says here, Notice he says here, back in Ephesians chapter 5. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. He does a culmination statement, right, in verse 33 after he talks about husbands. And now he says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so what does this mean to be subject or to submit? What does that mean? Well, a big portion of that submission is that wives need to have respect for their husbands. They need to have respect for their husbands. Now, I'm going to ask some hard questions, okay? I'm going to ask some hard questions. You don't have to answer it. I'm just going to ask them so that we could search. You could search your heart. As by way of application, this is how you know if you're submitting to your husband. Okay. Number one, do you mock him in front of others? Do you mock him in front of others? Do you mock your husband? Is he a joke? Because if he's a joke in front of your friends, if you mock him in front of your friends, you're not submitting to him. You're not respecting him. Sisters, do you speak ill of him in front of others? Do you disrespect him? How about this? Here's one way that shows you're not submissive to your husband. Do you say you'll do one thing and then do the opposite when he's not around? That's not submitting to his leadership. That's not respecting his leadership, what he has decided. Okay. Here's another question. Do you continually wear him down? Do you continually wear him down? Do you say, I've noticed, I've seen some marriages where the guy is so beat up, and it's, it is his fault too because he's not leading and he's not loving, right? But he's so beat up that as every move he makes, his wife makes fun of him or says he didn't do a good job or you didn't do this or you didn't do that. And every single time and that he's just kind of given up and all he does is just watch TV. Why? Because anything he attempts, she humiliates him. Sadly, that's how some marriages are like, right? 
Do you manipulate your children against him? Do you have them garner around your side when there's an argument? You, you need to come to my side, okay, kids? Because your dad, he's an idiot, but if you follow me, I'm doing the right ways, right? The Bible says that is disrespectful, unsubmissive. But here's the application, okay? Here's the application. Notice he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And the text there says to your own husbands, very, uh, very peculiar to yourself. He says, own, one's own. That means you don't have to be submissive to any other man. Isn't that great? All the Bible is saying is you have to be submissive to him. He says, your own husband, because there's a mutual possessiveness. That is my husband. He is mine, and she, uh, the husband is the wife's, and the wife's is the husband's. There's a there is a continual possessiveness of each other that is healthy. That's my wife. That's my husband. That is a healthy commitment there. But this is not a license for men in general to dominate over women in general. Notice it says to your own husbands. Not to any other husband, right? You are to submit to your own husband. It's not chauvinistic. Um, I think... Uh, single men, as you're looking for a wife, you have to ask the question, will she submit to you? That's it. Not to anyone else. Will she submit to you? Single ladies, before marrying, here's a good question to ask. If I'm going to spend my life with this man, right? If I'm going to give my life for this man, does he follow Christ and can I submit to him? Will he lead me to Christ? Will, can I submit to him? If you can't submit to him, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. But not notice it's, that's the application. But here's the motivation. The Bible says the motivation is as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Very clearly, the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ, even from Ephesians chapter 1. It's not a vague view of God. It's honoring Christ himself. And here's the whole crux of the matter. It is the sensible realization that as I submit and respect to this fallen man, fallen yet redeemed, okay, to this fallen man, I am doing it as unto the Lord. And that's where you have to focus, sisters. When I submit, it is honoring to Christ. When I submit, I bring glory to Christ. When I submit, I give him honor and praise. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't talk about decisions. You understand? This doesn't mean that there is a sharing of ideas. But the last and final call will be for the husband. And the husband will make that last call. And submission is not something that's begrudging, right? Well, this is a stupid idea. I don't feel like, but I'm just going to submit. This is a stupid idea, a stupid idea. That's not submission. That's still disrespect, okay? If your husband fails, let him fail, right? And God will deal with him just like God is dealing with you, right? Now, sisters, you cannot do this in your own power. You need his strength, and this is why, you remember, let's just do a quick review, Ephesians 3.16, right? 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. You need that power, okay? Notice in 5.18, you need to be filled with the spirit. Notice in Ephesians 3.17, Ephesians 3.17, it says here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. You need God's love. You need Christ's love to dominate you. Why? Because if you don't, when you wake up in the morning and you look at that snoring guy, you're not going to love him. Because when all the music is done, okay, and all the makeup is off, and you and the husband and the wife gain a few pounds, right? And you're looking at each other. What is going to keep you together? It is the Lord Jesus Christ and your commitment to him. Now, married men, don't make this hard, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about excelling in love, okay? Excelling in love. So number one, sisters, aim supremely. Aim supremely, okay? Next, sisters, aim intentionally. Aim intentionally. Notice in verses 23 to 24, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. God's design for the husband. He is the picture Okay? For the husband is the head of the wife. The picture is this, that the husband is the head of the wife. The truth is that Christ is the head of the church. Okay? So you notice he says here, he is the leader, he is the master. But notice, he says Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. So when we look at how Christ deals with the church, that is how husbands are to deal with their wives, how are to love their wives. And you see, and it's been my experience, sisters, it is no excuse. There is no excuse. The Bible says you are to submit to your husbands, but it's been my experience is that when husbands are rightly loving their wives as Christ loved the church, the submission is a lot easier. Women are more than likely, their hearts are won over by their husbands who will sacrificially give to themselves let's look at the truth we know what the picture is the, the picture that it's called but notice that there is a truth there that is being taught one is there is leadership and the other is sacrifice notice that the leadership there christ is the head of the church that means christ calls the shots in the church we can't do church any way we want okay we can't decide what truths to preach and which truths not to preach because they're controversial. We can't decide to organize the way that we think is best. We have to do church the way God does church, right? We have to reach out in grace, reach out in love, allow the Spirit to work, allow His Word to work. We have to do church God's way, right? That's what he's saying, and we see how he does that all through Scripture. But now, so there is leadership. And how does that mirror into the husband's life? He's got to be leading. He cannot have a role that uh, abdicates. He cannot say, well, whatever, I don't care about the decision. He has to decide. It is hard for a woman to follow if, she, if he makes it hard for her. 
I remember um, we've had, and you know what? I'm, I, I learn from the sparks that I have with my wife. Can I just tell you that? The sparks, and God uses the sparks for me to grow. I remember uh, early in our marriage, I'd make quick decisions and just move the family here and move the family there. We would do this, we would do that. Our cal- and the calendar wasn't set. We didn't have a calendar. And I would just say, well, I'm bringing this person over. Or we're going to go here. We're going to do that. We're going to go to this park. And she would say, well, we have this party planned. And we were going to go here. And, we're gonna and it would always end up in an argument because of me. Because of me. Because of my lack of planning. Because I wasn't leading. I wasn't sitting down to have a discussion. Okay, how are we going to do this? And then deciding. And so my wife told me one time, she said, she sat me down. She said, honey, I want to follow you, but you make it hard to follow. And that's when it struck me. I'm not leading properly. I'm not. I'm abdicating. Or I make decisions at the last second, right? Very difficult for someone to transist. Very difficult for someone to follow. And my wife says, I, I'll gladly follow, honey. Make it easy to lead. Brothers, make it easy to lead. Is Christ the head of the church? If he's the leader, then an element of that is you must be at the forefront. But secondly, you have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice. It says, he himself being the savior of the body. He gave himself, what was the sacrifice? It says here, he himself, that's the emphatic use, right? He didn't let anyone else go in his stead. The Bible says, could have just said he being the savior of the body, but it says he himself. What the Bible is emphasizing is that Christ himself died on the cross for our sins. And so there is no one else, husbands, who is going to take this role and lay down your wives, your lives for your wives. To give yourself up for your wives. Right? To grow in being generous. To grow in being less self-centered. To grow in all of that. Now, that's the mirror. Now, here's God's design for the wife. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands. And what God is saying is here, and sisters, I want to end with this because we're getting close to the end, is that God is going to use your family. And I've seen this time and time again when there is a understanding that they're all under the Lord Jesus Christ and that a husband sacrificially leads and loves his wife and the wife submits to his loving, shepherding leadership. Not a dictator, not uh, a grumpy old man, but someone who is loving his wife, and the wife follows in loving submission. And when that harmony is there, Christ uses that to show what he does in a family. I came, you guys know I came from a broken home. And the first time I saw that in someone's family, that there's actually respect for one another, that a husband would think of his wife and his wife would think of the husband 
and that the children actually submit to their parents with respect and don't talk back. When I actually seen that in love because they know it is of a greater, greater cause. It's not be so the family would run well. It's not because it's moral. It's not because it's a good social structure. It's because the glory of Christ is at stake. Sisters, sisters, listen to me. Bring glory to Christ in your marriage. Sisters, aim supremely. It is Christ, the head of the church, whom you serve. Sisters, aim intentionally. Submit to all things except that which is sin. Of course, don't sin. But do all these things in the power of the Spirit and in the love of Christ. And by this will Christ be glorified in your marriage, to your kids, to your family, to your church, and to the world. Let's pray. Father, we are moved that you've not left us alone. You've given us your spirit. Help, help my sisters. Help them to love their husbands, to respect them. Oh, it is, it is a high calling. It is a dignified, powerful calling. And we pray, Father, that they would emulate how the church is to submit to Christ. Oh, give that, that, that sister strength to a disobedient brother or an unbelieving man. Give that sister strength. Fill her with your spirit. Give her your word. Give her uh, fellowship in the church. Lord, it says in your text that you can give us strength in the inner man. In the inside, you can give us strength. Help them to uh, submit in uh, for your glory. We love you, Jesus. It is a wonder that you decide to use us. Help us to lo love one another. Help husbands to love their wives. Help us to submit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.